This podcast is part of the No Phony Podcast Network, the home of independent awesomeness. How do the problematic films of the 1980s fit into our lives? And does the answer come from Brett Michaels? Once again, it's time for the idiots. An objective defense of the 80s. From a couple of idiots. Welcome back to another episode of The Idiots, an objective defense of 1980s pop culture from a couple of idiots. My name's Will. Joining me, as always, is my friend and my co-host, Ray. Hey, how are we doing today? I'm good. You know, so we're... We're near, we're na- we're narrowing it. No, we're nearing, we're just running. Words fail me. We're just getting so close, narrowing in, narrowing in, narrowing in on our one year anniversary. It's just like in yeah. know, a week or two weeks now. And so I've been listening to some of the early episodes, and I know I've said this before, but it's gotten to a point where, and I'll be honest, I used to, when we first started doing the show, I was so enamored of our, with our voices in our show. <laughs> <laughs> then I would listen to the first episode again and again. Then we had two. I listened to one and then two. Then we had three. One, two, three. See where this is going? It got to yep. a point where there were just too many to do it. And now I, I don't usually listen to the show, mostly because after I've edited it for hours, I don't want to hear it anymore. But I tried yeah, to listen I, to some of those early episodes. Unlistenable. If you're new to the show, you don't have to go back to, to the first episode. <laughs> Skip like a dozen in. I, I disagree. I think you need to see the progress. Well, that's true. I mean, it is interesting to see. And we progressed pretty quickly, as you know. And, uh, you know, I have to listen to every single one for quality control to make Mm -hmm. sure that it's playing correctly. So I still hear them all. And who would have thought you'd be the quality control? But it's true. I have no idea. I don't know how I got got that that job because quality should not be my job. Ah. So uh, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about at least some aspects of problematic films in the 1980s with our guest, Don Hall. And I say some because, look, we're not looking to solve... Problems, we're just a couple of knuckleheads here. Uh, and we do appreciate the fact that, you know, there's some things that we may not have the uh, standing to really address. We're not women. Uh, you know, we're not going to solve uh, racial inequality. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the more titillating aspects uh, of the 1980s films that we loved as kids with Don Hall, our guest who wrote about uh, some particular films. But before all of that, let's get caught up on 80s news. I mean, can you hear that I'm, can you hear already that I'm struggling <laughs> with, I mean, this? I don't, I don't hear the struggle. Okay. I, I, all I hear is 80s awesomeness coming out of this. Mm, yeah. That's all I hear. I mean, already I'm thinking like, you know, look, we've been saying that uh, we're, we're providing objective truth that the 1980s was the best decade. And we're, look, I think we're going to look back on this in a couple of weeks on our year anniversary and say, you know, what have we accomplished? But, but you know, we can't ignore the, these, these types of things. We've ignored it for too long. <laughs> Yeah. But some of the things were. (laughs) Where's that 80s news? Let's go. All right. In 80s news. Hey, so this is exciting to me. Flash Gordon, you know, that film from the 1980s with the awesome theme music from Queen, is getting a 4K restored Blu-ray collector's edition that's coming out this summer. Did you like uh, Flash Gordon? Flash Gordon's amazing. Absolutely amazing. They should re-release it on every format they ever made. <laughs> Straight to my brain. Yeah, so this is exciting because, you know, if you if you look, you look online and find this, and uh, 
it's easy to find. They've got uh, some a trailer for the the restored version coming out, and it's so colorful and so vibrant and clear and sharp. If you remember, the aesthetic of the film was very much was a comic booky look. That's what they were going mm-hmm. for, and so now to see it with using the new technology, you can see it in a way that you've never seen it in your whole life. You know, including the first time you ever watched it, which for me was on uh, Betamax, I think. But uh, so I look forward to this coming out, so I can I can watch it over and again with uh, you know with clarity. Yeah, this this might be one of those garage movies where we in the summertime oh, yeah. we get everybody in the lawn chairs and oh, watch yeah. it outside. Yeah, we get projected into the garage or something or mm-hmm. on the garage. Uh, yeah. and, and, the, and the new version is going to include a number of different uh, bonuses, including uh, audio commentary uh, with with Brian Blessed, you know, who plays the leader of the Hawkmen. And has you know done a number of things since and before. He's a, he's a an esteemed uh, actor from uh, a British actor, uh, and yeah, some. But he should you know, he should always lead with that though when he talks to people. Say, Gordon is alive. He should lead with that. <laughs> yeah, every time, every any time he goes in for a part in a movie, he should yep. just say that Hawk and man. just walk out. <laughs> he should be wearing the wings. <laughs> Everything, <laughs> which you know so. There's there's also a behind the scenes uh, feature on this uh, as well, and. I, I don't know how it worked out, but I've been reading about Flash Gordon uh, recently. Maybe it's because of the 80s sci-fi doc that we, you know, our friends are making. Um, A number of interesting things uh, about that film, including the fact that those wings weighed a lot. uh, Mm -hmm. And they had to do some special techniques to be able to help the actors perform with them on. They actually had to create a special seat that Brian Blessed could sit on because the wings couldn't bend. So he had to essentially have a stool. Uh, including when he was not on camera. But one of the most interesting things about that film that you may not know is that, you know, you remember the star of the film is Sam Jones. Hell yeah. Sam Jones got into a fight with the producers and director of the film, so he got fired before the film was done. So the film was finished using uh, body doubles, uh, you know, for fight scenes and other scenes to finish, you know, flesh out what they had already filmed with Sam in it. But they also had to have some additional dialogue recorded. But Sam, again, you know, he was gone. I think, I'm pretty sure he was fired and didn't quit. If he quit, I mean, that's, I'll have to, you know, maybe, maybe I'll look it up and clarify at some point. But so because they had some other dialogue they needed to still record, they hired an actor to do the recording. But instead of trying to sound like Sam Jones, this actor just dubbed every bit of dialogue. So you may have never heard Sam Jones speak. Wow. That's insane. Right? I wonder if he tried to imitate him, though. Uh, what I read was no. They were just like no. Let's just re-record it's, everything. It's, it's kind of like a Boba Fett situation. Yes, or yeah, or even t- take to your point. It's like a David Prowse, uh, James Earl Jones situation. Oh, that's you know? one of the. I couldn't. I couldn't imagine being uh, David when he went to the theater to see that movie. <laughs> right. How angry because he did do yeah. all the dialogue originally. Right. Yeah, And I mean, you can't be so mad when you hear it because it's James Earl Jones, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you're pretty angry, I can mm-hmm. imagine. Yeah, you're, you're right. And, and what you're telling is a true story. He did go to the theater. That was the first time he found out he wasn't Darth <laughs> <Yeah>. Vader. <laughs> but what was he expecting yeah. to hear? He didn't go back in to dub oh, it, so anything he said was in a mask. Dude, for him, it gets even worse because when you take off the helmet, it's not even him. <laughs> oh, yes. Ah, uh, poor guy. You know, I, I, I recently read also as a coincidence that David Prowse said he hasn't spoken or heard from George Lucas since uh, Return of the Jedi wrapped. You know, it's just sort of sour grapes. Because David Prowse, after that happened, he was starting to say bad things about George Lucas and Star Wars and and on mm-hmm. set was making it hard for them to record because he knowing his dialogue was getting dubbed, 
He just would <laughs> yeah. say whatever he wanted to. <laughs> hey, that's what I would have done. I'm pretty sure he TP'd George Lucas's house after the, <laughs> the premiere. Oh, he's burning all bridges. Yeah. Including one scene, I think it's an empire, where he has to say something about the asteroid field, you know, they're in the asteroids. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying asteroids, he says hemorrhoids. Yes, I've heard that one. <laughs> I mean, come on, dude. You want to work again? You don't, you know, make it hard for like the biggest director at the time to, to make his film. Okay, in other 80s news, this is the news you have been not wanting to hear. I'm sorry, Ray, that I have to deliver it to you. Do you know what I'm going to say? Didn't you deliver this to me the last episode about Motley Crue canceling oh, or, or rescheduling? No, they didn't yet. They they now they did. You you were you were saying that you had hoped they would just cancel because they were saying they were still looking at other oh, dates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now they've just postponed it to 2020. So the the stadium yeah. tour featuring Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Poison, and Joe Jett and the Black Carts. We have the official word. Uh, quote, the official decision has been made to move all 2020 North American stadium tour dates into the summer of 2021. Yeah, I'm about ready to run out of VFW Hall and start uh, doing underground <laughs> rock and roll shows. Just covers so, hey, of songs? Mike, yeah. No. Hey, Mikey, sound guy. Oh. Mikey D. Yeah. We might have to put together some underground shows to get these kids some entertainment <laughs> this summer, pal. So... Now, wait, who is going to be performing here? Are you performing or are you getting... I'm going to get... I'm going to go out and I'm going to get bands to do these underground shows because I'm sick of this. I'm tired of not seeing bands. Mm. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Because there's just... Yeah, you can't see anybody. So, yeah. You're just hungry for a live performance. Yep. And I'll guarantee you there's some pretty big bands that would probably do an underground show right now just to get out of the house themselves. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm specifically talking about fear. Yeah. Oh, you know what we can call it? Spread the virus tour. Right, you know, actually, can you see a metal a metal tour doing something like that? Right, like I, I guarantee you, there's already bands that are doing it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, hey, in other '80s news, this is pretty cool, and this comes to us via Fox News. Uh, viral pictures show a man recreating iconic Back to the Future moment. So, in the photo, you see a man. He's 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 along riding along a DeLorean, but he is on a hoverboard. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, as you dig into this, you, you learn that Sam Rogers, who's from uh, Salisbury, Wiltshire, said he's been a fan of the Back to the Future movie since he was a young man. And he recreated uh, this moment of Marty McFly flying on a hoverboard after working on a prototype of a $430,000 jet suit. So he's cheating, but. Well, either way, though, it's a pretty cool image. Yeah. Well, yeah, yes. The, the story says that he. A lifelong fan has fulfilled his dream by inventing the world's first hoverboard. But if you look at the picture and read the article, he's actually got these, you know, uh, jet jet pack, which we've seen before. It put these, you know, very powerful fans on your back and on your hands mm-hmm. to control your direction. And, and you know, uh, that's actually what propels you off the ground, which is cool enough as it is. You know, it's it's it, we're getting closer to Tony Stark every day. Yep. These kinds of advances. But um I don't know that I'd ever want to strap one of these things on. I think I'd be too worried about, uh, I don't know, getting too high and, you know, crashing down. I'm in. I'm all <laughs> in on that thing. Oh, we have such a list of the things we need you to do <laughs> once we start doing video. Oh, and, man. You know, so let's see. We got, uh, you're going to ride a skateboard and hold on to the back of a car. So you think I mm-hmm. forgot these things that you said you're going to do. No, I no, remember. Right. Break dance. Yeah, yeah break I'm going to do them. Right. And now we're going to add this. And add I'll tell you what, if I added skydiving, yeah. Um, that, what is that, parkour? Yeah, parkour. Uh, skyscraper climbing. <laughs> um, I think breakdancing is the one I'm most in danger of getting hurt doing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, the things you just listed, 
Are those things I should write down as things you're committing to doing on the show? I would here? try them. Oh, I mean, you know, you live once. Hmm. I would bet the parkour will do more damage to you than uh, breaking. No way, man! It's trying to spin on my head is going to kill me. Hmm. All right, I don't. Okay. I don't think I can do that one. Okay, I see that. All right, hey, and uh, final story in other '80s news. The the article comes to us from Polygon.com. George Lucas's Howard the Duck made the Matrix possible. What are your feelings about Howard the Duck? I liked Howard the Duck. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, Hot you, chick, cartoon duck. What more do? You, well, and sassy cartoon duck. So this is what. Uh, okay, so thinking about our conversation with Don Hall, that's going to take place in a few minutes <laughs> here. This is a film that came out in 1986. It's, it's obviously it's mm-hmm. an adaptation of a Marvel Comics character, Howard the Duck. The only thing that comes to mind to me about this film, and I did see it probably in '86 or '87, is that you know Leia Thompson. Leah Thompson? Oh my gosh. This is like Leah Remini now. Leah Rem- Leah Leah Thompson. Leah Thompson. Leah. 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 <laughs> I like how you just stare at me. <laughs> just letting me <laughs> I'm just digging my own hole here. <laughs> I think it's Leah Thompson. Does this prevent me from asking her to be on the show if I can't get her name right? Hmm. Leah Thompson. Leah Thompson. Do you even know? All right, let me go through the cast here. Christopher Lloyd. Mm-hmm. Michael J. Fox. Yep. Leah Thompson. Leia. I think it's Leia. All right, so you know? Miss Thompson, and Miss Thompson's in it, who I had a crush on, you know, ever since Back to the Future. Doesn't she, this, again, this is tied to our conversation with Don Hall, though we're not going to mention this movie. Doesn't she have sex with this uh, anthropomorphic duck? <laughs> Hell yeah, she does. Oh my goodness. How this didn't make Don's list of problematic films from the 1980s, I don't know. I guess it's consensual, so it's fine. And it's not bestiality mm-hmm. because he's anthropomorphic. All right, hold on a second. Trying to get the pronunciation here. Oh. Leah Thompson. How does your phone know? Because I Googled it. Oh, Leah Thompson. All right, so Leah yeah. Thompson. Leah Thompson, and I'll edit that in. <laughs> or not. <laughs> we'll just have this whole thing. <laughs> I think we're just going to have this whole thing. <laughs> Except I have been thinking about emailing her, so now I don't know. Um, I love you, Leah. I mean, we're really huge fans of yours, you know. People pronounce my name, my last name wrong all the time. It doesn't mean that I wouldn't go on their podcast. <laughs> All right, so uh, so yeah, so Howard the Duck, and again, I, I think there might be some kind of you know duck on human uh, love that occurs in the film. I'm, I don't remember, but that's the only thing I remember about this film, hmm. other than not really liking it too much. And I realize I'm moving further away from getting her on the show by um, talking more about the film. So let's focus on the positive. They <sighs> uh, actually did feature some groundbreaking uh, special effects. Now, if you remember. A person that you love and admire is behind uh, bringing uh, Howard the Duck to screen, Mr. George Lucas. Yep. And with George Lucas comes ILM, which, you know, everyone knows, right? He created ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, because there wasn't a production company around that could do the special effects that he envisioned. His greatest contribution mm-hmm. to film is, is ILM, not Star Wars, ILM, because ILM has now allowed so many visionaries to create these worlds uh, on screen that wouldn't otherwise exist. Certainly not to the extent they do. I, I think they're on par with each other. I, I think Star okay. Wars okay. and that are on par. I think they're both revolutionary. And when George gets some time, he needs to come on and talk about Howard the Duck. Okay. Very good. Okay. Got you. Uh, okay. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. And so Industrial Light Magic was used to make uh, George's vision of Howard the Duck come to screen, uh, including some of the special effects that um, you know would, would have otherwise gone unnoticed, including uh, something right at the beginning where uh, at the beginning of the film, uh, there's a scene where the where Howard is rocketed out of his apartment with his easy chair, 
I don't remember this again because I, I don't remember having seen the film. Anyway, the, the, the effect was filmed with steel wires pulling the puppet. Sorry, spoiler, he's a puppet sometimes. <laughs> and a prop horizontally through multiple walls and sets. But mm-hmm. if you think about it, you've got now a puppet on wires being pulled by a wire. wire what do you do? Well, nowadays it seems obvious. You know, they would erase the wires, right? Because mm-hmm. we've got tons of films where that, where that happens. Um, well, this is where it first began. Um, after, you know, they, they filmed this, they had to think of different techniques to be able to get rid of the wires. And they had some old techniques they could fall back on, which they experimented with, but it didn't, it didn't work out. So ILM's graphics group had just developed a program called Layer Paint, which was run on early Pixar image computers. And yes, that Pixar, because Pixar itself started as a division of ILM. Oh my goodness, this guy, I mean, you got so much to, to, to thank, thank him for. Um, Lucasfilm sold a controlling interest in the graphics group to Steve Jobs in 86, right around when this film came out. Um, and then Steve Jobs actually named Pixar after the Pixar computers that were used in Howard the Duck uh, behind the scenes to make this effect possible. Anyway, they used this software layer paint to, you know, frame by frame, erase these wires, you know, which means they have to paint over these things. So fast forward to the Matrix. You've got now films, you know, using the wire work that was popular in Hong Kong films. And they used it in ways that hadn't been seen on film before, but in order to make it happen, they had to erase wires, which is had them relying on the technique that was, you know, pioneered by Howard the Duck some decade earlier. You know what's great about George Lucas? We could interview him for an hour and yep. never bring up Star Wars. That's true. Yeah. And that's amazing. Huh. Now I wonder if we would, would that be an interesting challenge? Like if we got him on the show. Yeah. All right. You know what? I'm going to reach out to him. And say Reach specifically, we don't want to talk about Star Wars. We want to talk about how you changed uh, everything else. Everything else. Yes. <laughs> All right. So speaking of duck sex, let's uh, let's wrap up 80s news and talk to our guest today. Dun, 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 dun. Our guest today has authored a number of books, including Belief is a Sledgehammer and Strippers, Guns, and the Holocaust Museum. Additionally... He is the co-editor of Literate Ape, a digital zine and a, quote, dumping place for random musings, end quote. There, alongside a number of other contributors, our guest waxes poetic on many topics, including his series examining some of the potentially problematic films of the 1980s. To read those pieces and others, visit literateape.com. And to hear more from our guest and his co-editor slash co-host, David Himmel, listen to the Literate Apecast, which can be found on Apple Podcasts. Please welcome to the show, Don Hall. Hey, Don, how are you? Hey, I'm great. How are you guys? Good. Oh, we're doing good. You know, Don, you have like a, a name of a game show host from the 1980s. Don Hall! I- Exactly. Well, you know, it's, I've discovered over the course of, I, I, last I think I read, it's like Don Hall is like the fifth most common name in America. Is that right? <laughs> That's, I read that. And, and I mean, there's, if you, if you look up Don Hall in Google, not that I've ever Googled myself, I've oh, never no. done that. No. But if you do, what you'll find is that a lot of Don Halls are old uh, farmers. There's a lot of farmers named Don Hall. <laughs> there is Donald Hall, the poet laureate, the, the late poet laureate. Yes. And then uh, and then when I grew up uh, in in Kansas, there was a guy named Danson Don Hall, who was a radio disc jockey in the 80s mode yes. of uh, not a shock jock, 
definitely not, but the kind of guy that was like, hey, this is dancing Don Hall. We're going to look at uh, something, mule sound, you know, that kind of stuff. That guy, that was Don, oh. dancing Don Hall. So, Oh, and you're not him. Oh, no. I am not that a guy, booking, no. A booking error. <laughs> um, so hey uh, thanks for talking to us today our show is you know generally an objective defense of 1980s pop culture and we're standing by that but i hope so in, in doing that ray and i have talked before it that doesn't mean that everything from the 1980s is perfect or great and it doesn't mean that uh you know that uh, there, there weren't their problems or challenges through the 1980s and we know that societal political etc we're just saying that overall the nexus of everything that happened in the 1980s birds, you know, consistently the most influential and, uh, you know, uh, important pop culture, but that, you know, I agree with you. Oh, good. Uh, but in, in, in it's good, it's good that you agree with me or it's curious that you agree with me because in spite of that, or, in, in, you know, or like us, you still, you know, found the need or interest to desire to look back at some of the things you, you had, uh, think back fondly on, uh, as a young person, uh, and start digging further into them. Um, you know, of course, I'm speaking specifically about uh, the pieces that you wrote for Literate Ape, and you can find those on literateape.com, where you took time to analyze, I think I, I counted something like 14... Uh, something like that, yeah. 14 different films from the 1980s that you characterized as problematic, and you set out to determine whether or not, you know, they were... It, it seems with each piece you wrote them, like you wrote a little piece at the beginning before you rewatched it, just sort of recalling what you remember, because you weren't even sure it would be problematic after you watched it. And then, you know, writing afterwards, after you had just rewatched it, you know, your thoughts. Um, I, I guess the, the first question I have is, why? Why did you do this? Well, around the time when they were having a, the, 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 the Brett Kavanaugh hearing, um, and however you want to stand on it, it was what I found very interesting is at one point during yeah. the Brett Kavanaugh Supreme Court hearing, um, he mentioned um, in and I, I can't tell. I mean, that was one of the things, whether it was in support of what he was being <laughs> accused of or not. But basically, he mentioned several movies that right. he had watched. And I realized at that moment. Oh, Brett Kavanaugh, we're exactly the same age. Oh, right. Because he's talking about the movies that I watched and he mentioned specifically mentioned fast times at Richmond high. Right. And I thought, and I thought to myself, wow, no, wait a minute. Um, I, I, I watched fast times at Ridgemont high and I love that movie. And, and I didn't turn into again, however you want to perspective a, a Supreme court justice. I was not a Supreme Court justice. I was not a Republican attorney uh, that worked uh, with uh, Ken Starr. And I've never been accused of any kind of sexual misconduct. So I went, you know what? I think I want to. And all I can remember was I thought, yeah, you know, in my mind was like, yeah, fast times at Ridgemont High, I guess, under the lens of sort of a, you know, a, 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 a millennial perspective, you know, a 20, I think it was at the time, 2018 perspective. Yeah. That's probably got a lot of problematic elements. I imagine that if you were somebody that was, you know, 15 years old now, and you watched that movie, you'd probably find it really, really uh, egregious. And so I, I thought, you know what, I think I'm going to go back and watch it. I've seen it since I was a kid. And I remember really loving that movie. And then the thing that, and naturally that was the one that started the whole idea of writing a bunch of other pieces was that I watched it and I realized, oh, this isn't, um, 
almost problematic at all. I mean, there's, I mean, when you, I, what I recalled was, oh, this is so subversive and it had so many sort of those eighties in jokes. And I went, oh no, this is actually not as problematic. And, and you know, most of the, 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 the storylines, the women are in control of their sexual choices and, I mean, aside from, I mean, and, and obviously there, there are certain things that are probably, I found it very problematic that there are literally only two black actors in right. the entire film. And one of them is just known as somebody's brother. You know what I mean? I mean, and, and they have very small street. And I mean, let's, uh, yeah, is it a little problematic that uh, Judge Reinhold masturbates to Phoebe Cates's, you know, nudity? Yeah, that's kind of a problematic thing. But on the other hand, I think any 15-year-old today would probably do the same thing. So it's not – I didn't find it that problematic. Yep. And so and then I went, well, I want to see what other movies that I remember. And that was sort of the criteria that I had. It says, I, I said I wanted it to be comedies because it could be any movies. I mean, I love lots of movies from these. But it was like, all right, let's look at comedies. And let's look at comedies that as I just kind of look out and I go, oh, God, I remember that movie. That was so much fun. I love that movie. Yep. But maybe it's problematic. Let me go back, rewatch it from that lens and see if I found those problematic elements. And it was a lot of fun. And I, I, I've enjoyed doing it. I still have some more to, that I'll probably watch and write about. And, and you know, you, you, you remind me, I wanted to point out sort of just at the beginning here, opening or threshold what are what are what I think our conversation can't be, and you know to your point, you do when you're in in your analysis you you take a look at uh, a number of things that you you know look at as quote problematic um you know some of the misogyny through uh some stuff that's criminal um race yeah. issues issues of feminism and i, I guess the two the th- two things I want to point out one and especially in light of what's going on in the world right now is that you know the three of us are not going to be able to solve uh issues of race. I don't think we're either, you know, or positioned to do that. So I'd like to have that discussion with probably some other folks, you know, on the show, maybe in the future. Um, and, and the same thing along with, um, you know, notions of, uh, well, oh, I was going to say along with the notions of feminism, we're actually going to be in the next couple of weeks speaking with a woman who's written some books on how 1980s films actually believes empowered her as a woman today. Mm-hmm. So, but I do want, I think, you know, within our wheelhouse, and we'll talk about whatever, but so folks know, look, we know we're not positioned to solve inequality with regard to race or, or, or women, because we're a bunch of dudes. Um, but um, to your point, like, you know, stuff about masturbation and, 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 and nudity and that sort of thing, you know, um, yeah, that seems proper. And I agree with you. Uh, it might be, is it a coincidence, I wonder, that uh, Fast Times was directed by a woman, Amy Heckerling? Exactly. And exactly. Yeah. 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 I was, I, I, I'd forgotten that quite yeah. frankly, you know, I mean, I just remember seeing it when I was a kid and, uh, there are, there are just so many things about that movie that, that surprised me how progressive it actually was. Yeah, Cause again, my recollection was that it was not at all progressive. It was just yeah. sort of like this new nudie comedy about a bunch of lechy dudes. And that's not actually what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot all about that yeah. Yeah, until I watched it as a 54 year old man. <laughs> yeah. You know, I remember Molly Ringwald, you know, who was in some of the John Hughes films that are looked back on as problematic, including by Molly Ringwald. Now, you know, she wrote, oh, that, yeah. she wrote that piece in the New Yorker a few years ago. And mm-hmm. she actually said that with regard to fast times, it's uh, more of an accurate portrayal of adolescence in the 1980s than most films, you know, yeah. and she points out maybe the, you know, the partial nudity, um, Phoebe Cates showing her breasts is objectifying of women 
Sure. But it also like you're, to, to, I'm not making, I'm not, I'm not going to say to your point, because maybe you're not making this point, but it, uh, it's at least consistent with that character in the sense that this is how he fantasized about a girl. And it was something that, uh, as a 14 or 15 year old boy seeing that film at the time, it seemed like, yeah, th- that's how I, look. That's, that's what happened. That's what, yeah. And, but then, and then going further is that, you know, because, you know, there's there's no question that that's an object objectification objectification of that character. But if you look at the character outside of that moment, she's there's nothing about her that is weak, right? Or 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 compliant to that kind of attitude. Right. I mean, her character itself, yes, the actress played that moment, and that's the fantasy. The yep. reality is the character is nothing like that. Very, you know, and so I thought that was a really interesting distinction. Um, that that her in that moment is really just a, a fantasy of Judge Reinhold, who is this character of, you know, just a guy. Tra- I mean, he's just kind of a just sort of a sad dude. You know, he's like he's, you know, you know, I mean, he, he can't he can't keep a job and all his jobs are such horrible sort of, uh, you know, minimum wage kind of nonsense. And, and it's just a very I just think he's a very funny character. And the fact that in that moment he totally gets caught and is embarrassed again, kind of reemphasizes how, how uh, much more open-minded and progressive than, than, you know, he gets his come up and so let's put it that way. Yeah. So uh, in some of the films, you know, you went through and um, like, again, there's uh, you know, over a dozen, you picked them based on what you thought was problematic, that they might be problematic. And then as you went through them, you, you determined, you know, they're not as bad as you recall. And, and some of them, like we pointed out, they're problematic for different reasons. I kind of want to focus yeah. on the ones that are, again, problematic within, I feel, is pro- appropriate for, you know, uh, three middle-aged yeah. dudes to talk about. But um, so, and there's some other interesting things that came up. For example, you had thought that, um, let's see, Stripes, Stripes made your list. Oh. Um, yeah. And, and that was a hard one for me because that's like one of my, and in fact, I saved that, uh, I don't know if it was la- the last one I did, but, and my wife and I talked about that because I love to this day, love the movie stripes. Yep. And I was terrified to watch it from that lens. Yeah. Um, because I knew, I mean, there was no question in my mind, uh, that, that I was going to watch this movie and it was just going to be revealed how ridiculously problematic it was. And it was, Yeah, it was, I still love it. Um, but, uh, I can't not recognize, uh, <laughs> just, just from start to finish, um, how problematic that particular film, um, I mean, it's quite frankly why I've avoided, uh, the, up to this point, uh, watching Ghostbusters. Oh, wait, what? No, not our precious Ghostbusters. Highly <laughs> problematic film. I mean, I know it's, oh, that's no. the thing is mm-hmm. highly problematic. And so it's like, okay, you know, I mean, and, and then that, that was quite a kind of Bill Murray's, you know, earliest career was kind of playing that kind of, uh, that character in, in his own way. I, I almost, I didn't entirely avoid John Q's films. I did watch weird science and, yeah. and do that. Um, I'm struggling, I'm struggling and I could see Ray too. struggling to think of, what was problematic about Ghostbusters? Now, having read your pieces, I know, again, you touch on uh, featuring people of color, uh, what, to what roles they play, uh, women having yeah. sort of a, having, being in charge of their own uh, was agency, having agency, yeah. um, objectification of women, gratuitous nudity. And I can't, yeah. um, hmm, wow. Well, the biggest, the biggest, the, like, and I, again, I haven't done Ghostbusters. I'm yeah. sure, I'm, not, I'm probably not as much as Stripes, not even close to as much as Stripes. Stripes is like one of my favorite films that just 
it does not pass the test. Um, but and, you know, and one you of provide the a checklist. I, I encourage folks to read your little yeah, checklist I, of things that are uh, problematic with it. That, that are that you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to be as honest about both. That's the thing is in writing it's I'm trying to be as honest about where I was at. Yeah. Um. Sort of my so what wh- what was I like when I was uh you know and I was a typical I think I was a pretty typical uh, teenager in the eighties, um and then, you know, thirty some odd years later. What do I know is considered um, and that, that I, I find problematic as well as um, stuff that I think is sort of in the modern discourse as things that are no longer um, viewed as just OK anymore, you know, and and, uh, you know, like for Ghostbusters, I mean, his entire relationship with Dana is just skeevy mm. and, 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 you know, I won't, I won't go so far to say is it's, it's rapey, but it's just really that's a really good, if let's put it this way, if today uh, Sigourney Weaver was your sister, you would absolutely object to how he treats her in that movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Yes. You know, and it's like that, but I haven't gotten, like I said, I haven't watched it, maybe yeah. I'm wrong, but uh, in watching like uh, just Stripes is a perfect example, it's almost every interaction with women is just, it's just, man, it's just Neanderthal-like. Um, and they're, they're, they're dealing with race and with sexuality and with, you know, with the fat shaming thing. They're just yeah. in stripes. There is no end to the problematic elements. Um, I think the only two movies that I found more like wildly problematic, um, in my list was, uh, bachelor party, Tom Hanks, bachelor party in 84, okay. which is just, <laughs> give me a break. Um, I mean, you know, I mean, I had, that's the thing is I had to find a few that I remembered really fondly that I probably knew. Yeah. Okay. I'm probably cannonball run. So, you know, I mean, it's just a great big giant. uh, It's like a great big giant sexist racist joke on wheels. It's just unbelievable. (laughs) And uh, I remember loving. How do we make this? How do we make this better? Let's put cars in it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember loving that movie when I was a kid, just think it was the funny Don DeLuise cracking up when that's what I realized in watching is what I really only liked about that movie oh, yeah. as a kid Captain was Chaos, Don right? DeLuise and, and not even the movie, just the outtakes where it was just them cracking each other up. Right. That was what I really loved and really remembered because as I'm watching it, I, that's what I thought was so funny is I'm sitting and watching it and I'm going, this is really not good and it's really badly written and it's really boring and oh wow and then we i finally got to those uh, those outtakes and the end credits and i went oh now i remember why this is yeah. funny so yeah well, that you know, was uh and you hit on something that i think is you know we can say over and over again and maybe we'll talk more about towards the conclusion of this uh, discussion is that we had a different perspective as kids and then looking mm-hmm. back you know as an adult we learned, we evolved, you know, I'm not sure what that says about uh, whether or not we are permitted to still enjoy those things from our youths or or, or not. But, um, uh, and we can get there in in a second. You're right. Bachelor party. I have, right. Do you even remember the plot to bachelor party? Cause I did not until I read uh, Um, Don's summary. If I was guessing, and I haven't seen this movie since the Mm eighties, I would say the plot of bachelor party is a dead stripper. <laughs> well, if the strip strippers a donkey, yeah. Oh yeah. 
Yes. You know, what you said, Ray, would, I don't know, create some more intrigue, I think, than what's actually in Bachelor Party. You know, it's... It's been a long time. Yeah. And I only remember seeing in the 80s as, as a kid because, and again, look, on our show, we are definitely honest about these things. I don't know that we necessarily know where, what the conclusions are, but we like to discuss the questions because we're all at this yeah. position in our lives. When I was 14, 13, 15, whatever... Hitting puberty, my friends and I at the rental store, we sought these kinds of films out because we wanted Absolutely. to be titillated. You know, we were hoping to see gratuitous nudity. We didn't think of it in, a, in the way that we do now as adults. So Bachelor Party, I think I only saw it then because we were hoping to see strippers probably, like Ray says, mm-hmm. saw it in the 80s. Was disappointed because there wasn't enough of anything <laughs> to hold my attention, I think, long enough. Um, yeah. Well, you got to remember in the 80s, and that's one of the things I, again, it's context Again, I think context has so much to do with uh, a lot of this sort of perspective on on times gone past kind of thing. Yep. Was that I didn't? I mean, I don't know, speak for anybody else, but I we didn't have cable TV. We didn't have you know a thousand HBO channels. You know, we didn't have all of that. And so, if I wanted to, exactly, I'm you know I'm a teenager. If I want to see something that sort of breaks the rules a little bit, that is, you know, that's subversive a little bit, that maybe has you know, some nudity in it. And I, I, you know, I did, I had to go either see it in the movie theater. I had been, and kind of break the rules there. Cause I was a 17 yeah. or I had to go to blockbuster video and get my VHS tape. <laughs> I guess sticking with the ones that you found the, the most, uh, among the most, uh, problematic, a bachelor party, like we mentioned, um, and you wrote here from start to finish women exist in the film as opportunities to show their t- a lot. Mm-hmm. Or be yeah. the object of seventh grade lust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yes. And again, it, it's so, as, as kids were like, yes, of course. And adults now, it's like, wow. That's what we were looking for, yeah. And, and moving on to some of the more, I think, clearly problematic. And again, something that doesn't hit you too, you're an adult. And Ray have, and I have talked about it, I think, maybe only entirely off air, but. Um, yeah, we only talk about this stuff off air. <laughs> <that's okay. laughs> the fact that Ray's letting me even do this episode says a lot. Um, but Revenge of the Nerds, I mean, oh ah. boy, I want to root for the heroes the whole time, but then the hero at the end does something that's it's, extremely problematic. Oh, um, yeah. I was going to say, in summarizing your summary, I just wrote down panty raid, cameras, hair pie, and rape. Mm-hmm. So, again, as a kid, I'll be honest. Look, I'll be honest. Maybe we'll cut this out because Ray or someone will get a hold of me and say, don't be that honest. But honestly, when I was a kid... We thought, oh, panning raid, that sounds sexy. Yeah, let's do that. I would love to hide cameras somewhere to see nude women because we have these drives as teenagers but don't have access to, you know, the nudity the way they do, kids do now to fulfill these sort of desires. Um, And I didn't notice at the time that it's a sexual assault takes place at the end of the film. But now looking back, it's, it's clear and troublesome. Oh, yeah, it's obvious. And one of the things that I really uh, that, again, that I really thought was interesting about Revenge of the Nerds that I that I went, wow, in in the lens of this is that one of the biggest issues that we're I don't know if it's the biggest issues, but it's a really problematic issue is the concept of very angry incels. You know, these Mm. these uh, (laughs) involved. Right. And 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 like and, you know, and these are very angry um, sometimes very violent guys. And the Revenge yeah. of the Nerds basically says, if you are an incel, yeah. the best way that you can win is to be just like the bullies, mm. is to do is to play exactly the same game mm. as the bullies, 
So that's how you win, which is a really rotten message (laughs) and quite problematic considering the the situation. It's like they, they just, they're just exactly like um, the alpha betas um, in their way of dealing with it. So it's like, it's that fight fire with fire kind of concept. And it's like, that's not a, that's not a great message. Do do you think that they will ever be able to remake revenge of the nerds considering the, all the bad things in it? You know, I don't think so. You know, it's like, no, God, I would hope not. I mean, it just, because I, I, like I said, I like the concept of here's some nerds. They're kind of put upon. They're definitely bullied and, uh, and they fight back. That's kind of the whole point. I mean, that's, there's a plot point. That's it. Um, I don't know if nerd culture is now as marginalized as it was in the eighties. You know, I mean, nerds, nerds are are quite celebrated um, and and, and rightfully so in this culture. I mean, mean, Elon Musk would absolutely have fit in in, in the Landa 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 house in college. (laughs) I want to see that. (laughs) You know, and, and, you know, and but now he's, you know, running a whole section of the world all by himself. So it's like, yeah, I don't I don't I don't know. I mean, uh, Robert Carradine looks like. Mm-hmm. Looks like a young Bill Gates, you know, and so, <laughs> it, you know, so I don't, I don't know if they could make it, and it, it'd have to be a very different angle. You know, your comment about incels, and even earlier how you you, you decide you discussed how you decided to do this exercise because of the the Brett Kavanaugh hearings and him mentioning uh, Fast Times, and I believe he also mentioned Animal House, and I want to say one yeah. other film that's not coming to mind, um, but Animal I House can't is the other, but it, 70s, Animal but the other House is 80s, 70s, right? The other two yeah. were 80s. It was, yeah, it was. Um, but in any case, this idea that, you know, chicken and egg, obviously mm-hmm. you, you turned out as a, as a person who's writing these pieces, you know, challenging these things uh, that were in the films. And Ray and I don't support, uh, you know, rape culture or this kind yeah. of notions. So the fact that we saw this pop culture and loved it didn't lead to, there wasn't a causation, causation uh, a causal relationship where we went out and yeah. became these horrible people. Um, so when you mentioned incels and Brett Kavanaugh, it seems like, we can't necess- we can't necessarily blame pop culture entirely for the these things. Uh, it seems almost like they gave permission or revealed uh, you gave the okay to maybe these secret thoughts or desires that folks had already, and they thought, oh, other yeah. people think this way, so I can behave in this ab- aberrant way, but wouldn't necessarily convert a g- otherwise good person into a horrible human. No, I, I, yeah, I think that this what it reminds me of is I remember, and I can't remember what year this was because I don't think this was when I was a kid. I think this was when I was definitely an adult. But I remember, because I don't, you know, the whole argument that pop culture, you know, actually changes you. And that I think it's pervasive right. in a very much more subtle way. But I remember playing Grand Theft Auto when it first came out. I freaking loved Grand Theft Auto. And after playing it, you know, 18 hours in a shot, because it was just so entertaining. Um, I rem- I do. I'll remember them for this. I went outside and I needed to go someplace. And my first instinct, <laughs> Rob a car, honest to God, was to just walk up, open to some guy's car and drag him out and drive away in his car. And I went, okay. oh, that's and I did. I stopped myself. And I went, oh, that's creepy. Where did that come from? <laughs> uh, that's nuts. And the thing about it is, I think what I love about a lot of the 80s and it's why I don't feel like we can just dismiss it. Yeah. Is that is that. You know, I mean, we still I mean, we, we we battle against sort of the actually a perfect example, the objectification of women in in uh, a lot of these movies that we watched when we were in high school. Right. 
I mean, all you have to do is turn to Instagram. There, there are women making millions of dollars just taking pictures of them in bikinis. Yep. And that's not a bad, I'm certainly not saying it's a bad thing, but I'm just saying uh, this culture objectifies women. So to say that it is like worse in the 80s than it is now, I actually don't think that's accurate. And I think part of it is about not celebrating those sort of uh, baser tendencies you know, I mean, it's one of the because I love, I love, I love Trading Places. I think Trading Places is a very funny movie, and it's you know, it's based on some really solid ideas and that kind of thing. Yep. But there's a moment in Trading Places when Dan Aykroyd, who I love, Dan Aykroyd, comes out in blackface, yes. and I and I and I and I had compl- again, I had completely. It was so like not a big deal in the eighties. Yep. I didn't think about it, and when I'm watching it today, and he comes, I'd forgotten about it. Yes. And it just jaw droppingly shocked me. And it was like, wow, he could have made any other there a million choices for yeah. his disguise. But that's what they went with, because that was comedy. I went, had, oh, yeah. wow. I had forgotten about that moment, too, until I read your piece. <laughs> and a lot of things you mentioned here that I thought, wow, what, what is it about me that I didn't cons- I, I forgotten about these certain things and, you know, focused on the things I loved about the films. And I've walked yeah, around yeah. saying Mabuli, 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 Maha before, you know, in my life. So, right. Exactly. I did um, that when I was a kid. I never even made the connection. You know, yeah. the, the thing about Instagram though, you mentioned, and I don't entirely disagree with you, but I guess to use some of your own language from your, your, your pieces that you wrote, I think the distinction and not to suggest you're not making this distinction, but the distinction would be agency, right? You, you've got these women yeah. using their own beauty to market something versus a man writing and directing a film uh, that has oh, yeah, gratuitous no. nudity. I, no, I completely yeah. agree. There's definitely context and distinctions in that. It's just, it's very, it's, you know, there, there are just elements to the things in the eighties that I think, and I don't, I don't want to say, Oh, we were just so innocent because I don't yeah. think, you know, that was the Reagan era. So I'm not sure how innocent we were, right. but there was there was simply not a societal there was not as much let's put it that way societal push to really identify these kinds of things and these marginalizations and and agency that that, that I don't think I heard the word right. agency until I was well past college sure. and so that was just not some that's just not how we saw the world and I don't think that made us bad people um, and I also don't think it makes but that's again, that's part of the exercise. So it's not even like which films do I have permission to like. It's just like which films do I like now? You know, which not even whether it's okay for me to like them. You know, I, I mean, like I said, uh, the the one that is the hardest for me to to let go of is Stripes because Stripes is just super problematic. But I don't know if I'll ever dislike that film. I'm not sure if I'll probably watch it a whole lot. Mainly, and I put that in the piece. Bill Murray was it saved my life. I mean, you know, I was I was a nerd. I was the smart Alec. I was the mouthy kid, you know, and I, I I didn't quite fit in in a lot of areas. And my sense of humor was definitely um, more confrontational, I guess. And uh, and then, you know, when I was in, uh, I think this was pre-high school, um, Meatballs came out. And all of a sudden, I remember seeing meatballs and everybody in my town saw meatballs. And then all of a sudden, people started going, oh, you're like the guy in meatballs. And it was almost like <laughs> I discovered, it's like, yeah, that's who I'm like. Yeah. And so Bill Murray was a huge part of sort of my self-esteem as a as a young man growing up. So I can't just dismiss Stripes, but I also won't hold any hosting parties and say, hey, come on over, all my friends. Let's go watch this really problematic 
thing <laughs> together. Interesting, though, although what you're saying is more innocent than the, what, the, these things that we're focusing on, it's similar to what we're talking about, this idea that you saw a representation in a film of something that just affirmed something about yourself, and so you felt more comfortable or okay to be yourself. Obviously, this was reinforcing a, a, a harmless aspect of you, except although, as in your piece, you said, um, with regard to how you were like Bill Murray, you wrote, on the other hand, maybe I was just an yeah. Which I thought was yeah. But much like we're talking about. So you've got other folks who maybe take other aspects of it that are darker and, you know, run, run away with the, these other notions that are, are, are troubling. Yeah. I found something interesting about the all most of the films that you, you talk about. Um, and I didn't read all the pieces. I, I, you know, I focused on the ones that films that I was most familiar with. And some I, some yeah. I, didn't, I didn't remember just to see what uh, you could remind me. But I found it was interesting that many of the films were written by men in their <laughs> 30s and 40s. Yep. So a couple things strike me. One, you've got adult, you know, well into their adults writing about what they imagine teenage and young men would be fantasizing about or doing, which seems kind of odd to me already. But also they're not, you know, to the extent that folks say, well, look, the generation in the 80s had these problematic films or these notions, you know. They were written by folks from a different generation, you know, folks that yeah. grew up in the fifties and sixties, which did yeah. have greater notions of that would be considered, you know, misogynistic or you know, anti-women and stuff like that. So, yeah, well, it's just, well, when you and that's one of the things I don't really think I wrote. I actually can't recall if I wrote specifically about this, but one of the things that uh, that I remember thinking about was that the seventies and really starting in sixty-eight um, was like the beginning of like independent auteurs sort of separating themselves from Hollywood system. And then you had easy writer and, and what in 68, it was uh, Bonnie and Clyde. And then, and then all through the seventies. So my, my childhood was populated by, you know, Saturday night live. And up until you got the star Wars in 77, you know, it was all this very, and it almost seems like the guys that were writing these movies for the eighties were guys that, that didn't get on the wave of the Scorsese's and mm. the Coppola's, you know, they didn't quite, they weren't that edgy, yeah. but they still wanted to participate. And maybe the reason they didn't participate or weren't invited to participate is that they just weren't that serious. Right. And there was some of that ethos going on at the time. Um, Better off dead is another, I hadn't written about that, but it's a John Cusack <laughs> film. I don't know if you remember that one. Oh yeah. I love it. I think uh, Wait, you know, maybe but, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I do love it. It's, it's problematic. It is very problematic, and uh, and and it's Savage Steve Holland, and this guy mm. was just—I mean, he's like a guy you'd find uh, like it's sort of like he's the Quentin Tarantino if Quentin Tarantino didn't become a genius, <laughs> you know. And he was just—he watched a lot of videos, and it mm. just wasn't—he wasn't watching cultural videos and videos from other countries and movies that were sort of cult classics. Mm. He was watching. He was watching all the sort of like bootleg comedy things. And that was kind of where that movie came from. And it's like, yeah, there's some real problematic elements to it. I didn't write about that one mainly just because, uh, to be perfectly frank, I started watching it to write about it. And I got, I, I, I wasn't even offended enough to be bored. I was just like, oh. ah, all right, I just can't even watch this. It's just not that good. I can't believe I thought this was funny. When I was a kid, yeah. I was a stupid child. So, <laughs> hey, uh, do you think these movies from the '80s fall under the protective umbrella of the Mel Brooks style of pushing comedy? Is is the reason think, you could get away with them? I think some of them do. I mean, I actually, I actually think some of them do kind of fall under. I'm not sure if any of the ones that I wrote about fall under that 
angle. Yeah. I think close the closest thing I can say that probably falls under that angle is uh, maybe maybe Amazon yeah. Women on the Moon, um, maybe uh, National Lampoon's Vacation. You know what I mean? Because they're mm-hmm. so exaggerated, and right. that's kind of the Mel right. Brooks sort of thing. Is that we're going to take it? We're going to make a satire, and everything can be so exaggerated um, that it that it becomes funny. Um, I'd like to say stripes, but I don't know. Like I said, I have a soft spot for that, so it's hard for me to mm. to be objective about that one. I think you know, back to school actually with uh, Roddy Dangerfield kind of has that feel of sort of of sort of a Mel Brooks scene kind of thing because it's such a ridiculous concept, and because Kurt Vonnegut is actually in the film. So yeah, yeah, that was a, quite a coup, I recall. So we've been focusing a lot about the problematic films. I think it's also interesting that some of the films that you suspected and we would suspect would be problematic because of what we just recall weren't as bad as uh, we remember. One example is Risky Business. Um, and yeah. That, and also there's another issue that you bring up in Risky Business and some of the other films I think is interesting as well. But um, if you think about the story of Risky Business, you would imagine it's got to be filled with some trouble, right? A, yeah, a young man who's you know essentially maybe pressured into turning his home into a brothel while his parents are away. Uh, you say it's something like a Home Alone, but with hookers or something like that. Uh, yeah, I say like Home Alone with whores and PB dinners. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, so why wasn't why isn't risky business more problematic based on that? Well, you know that that was the thing is it. it First of all, it's a really well made, I mean, unlike a lot of the problematic movies, they're just usually not that well made. It's very well written. Mm-hmm. And and it really does it, it really underscores that it that it's obviously white privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, it does have its problematic elements, but it doesn't you I guess that's the thing is it doesn't hang its hat specifically on the problematic elements. At its heart, it's just a story of this very privileged white kid trying to make money and kind of, kind of thinking. And that's what I love about that movie more than anything else is that it's, it's like this idea that I'm going to run this brothel out of my parents' home idea as sort of like this, like if I were that kid, I'd go, what a great idea. And if it were bachelor party, then it would be totally insane. And I'd make all this money and it'd be a blast, but it doesn't work out that way on any level, all of his privilege and all of his stupidity and all of his ideas of how he's going to make this happen, he encounters Rebecca de Mornay and she is not the objectified weak, I'll do anything. It just doesn't fit the profile. And I think maybe what makes it a better movie than I expected it to be is that every character is set up as a problematic character and then they kind, you've kind of discovered that there's more layers to them than that with the sole exception and really it is the sole exception is uh the cross-dressing prostitute jackie who is uh, a black the only black character in the movie and it's it it's it it's used as a joke and that's that that one's really like oh come on you guys did so well with the prostitute you did well with his friend you did well with kim you did well with the pimp and the one the one black character you just kind of said yeah we're not going to bother to give that any kind of depth or, or thought behind it. We're just going to throw that up here and just let you kind of laugh and then move on. And I went, eh, okay. Other than that, um, and that's pretty egregious. Other than that, I, I think it's a far better movie than I remembered at least. And, and I think, and, and the one thing in Risky Business that I hadn't thought of, again, as a young person that you point out, and I'll, I'll, 
I'll, I'll throw in weird science because they have this in common is the, and again, you wouldn't think of this necessarily until you, you delve into it the way you did is that the two female leads in both of these films that are attractive women and that um, are, are, are the stars of the films are control of their own agency. Is that the right way of saying it? Have their own in control? Have a have agency or have agency? Yeah, they, they have agency. They're they're in, in control of their decisions, and uh, they're based for lack of a better way, but they're in charge. Yeah. So the, and and I like that. Yeah. So you've got these, you know, uh, oversexed, you know, young men, but these women are, you know, are, are, are yes, in charge of what happens and how how things progress for the most part, and that's surprising yeah. to me because I wouldn't have thought I thought for for offhand weird science would have been problematic for the female portrayal, and it's got some other issues, and you you point them out again, yeah. it's, um, and it's unfortunate. But um, the other thing that I thought was interesting about risky business that you point out, and again, is common throughout many of these. And in Revenge of the Nerds and all the things that we're talking about is how there's a lack of consequence. And that's sort of a theme that runs through many of the problems is that the folks that commit do these different things that are troubling, they don't they get away with it. Yeah. Yeah. There's there, there's no follow up that actually. And then again, going back to like Fast Times as the very first one that is, is that there are problematic elements that are presented but each one of those has a consequence that you get to see on screen. This is how this guy behaved. And this was, this is what he got. He got what yeah. he deserved. There was absolutely a consequence to it. The ones that are most problematic is that they do these things and totally we skate past it. It's like, all right. Yeah. And that, that is that, I think that's kind of the heart of a lot of problematic things is that if you don't have a consequence, then you've cheated that moment. So, you know, I was feeling pretty I don't know, say down, but I was feeling a little bit down about this idea of how do we, you know, um, reconcile the fact that we love these things as kids and we're naive. And then as adults, you know, get to sort of chills when we, we think about certain moments. And I was heartened to, to see this uh, comment from, from Molly Ringwald, again, from her New Yorker piece. And I should preface this by saying this by no means absolves anybody of personal responsibility. You know, mm-hmm. if you, if you watch a film and it's got something troubling in it, it doesn't give you permission to, you know, be that person. Unless you want to be an ass like Don, and then okay, like Bill, Mur- like Bill Murray, that's okay. <laughs> you can do that. Um, so I say this not to to you know again absolve anybody of their responsibility, but as Mo- Molly Ringwald said in that piece, um, oh yeah, okay. Actually, I'm quote so I'm quoting author Hadley Freeman, who she points out that Ro- Molly Ringwald in her piece said that even though that you've got or pointing out the flaws in something you loved as a child doesn't mean you have to disown it. That's part of growing up. Um, and she writes that as, as much as suddenly seeing your parents' fallibilities, uh, you can still love them. Um, you love things from the past with the heart of a child, but you can simultaneously see them through the eyes of an adult. So are we still permitted to enjoy these things as you did during your, your rewatch? Or do we have to, as you say on some of these, burn it? Well, you know, and that, that's part of the thing. I think we do get to enjoy it. Um, I think it's what's interesting about and same thing as anything else. I loved when I was a kid, nothing more than Snickers bars, man. I could eat a thousand <laughs> Snickers, but I could eat a thousand Snicker bar in five minutes. Well, I, I, I can't even eat pizza without feeling a carb hangover now mm. 50. I think there is a permission to say, and that's what I love about it is art, especially art from our childhood is fluid yeah. and it's supposed to be fluid. That's the whole point. I, 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 I think of like what some of my favorite films that I remember watching as a kid that are benchmarks. And as I've gotten older, I will rewatch those films and I get a different take 
because now I've lived more life. I've actually lived, you know, some of that life so that I identify with different characters maybe, or I see a different thread that speaks to my experiences. And the, the more I grow older and then go back and revisit those movies, I see a difference. It's a Wonderful Life is actually a perfect example. I remember watching it when I was a kid and I had one thing, but I watch it every year. And as I get older and I have more experiences as an adult, that story changes for me. And I actually think that's something we can actually take heart in is that as we grow, we have learned and we have gotten wiser. And so there's some things about our childhood that are exactly the way we remembered them, but there's lots that we need to kind of, I think we should go back and look at and see how far advanced we've become. Very good. Uh, And with that, I'll say thanks, Don. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Will. Thank you, Ray. All right. And then we just do the wrap up. (sighs) All right. See, (laughs) if I didn't sound nervous enough earlier, (laughs) I didn't really know what this show, look, I didn't really know what this episode would wind up being because you know how much I love our pop culture from the 1980s but i know it's not without its flaws 80s news was awesome he was good mm-hmm. he proved his point and now we're gonna smash it into the fucking ground and fix this problem wait is All this right? is this part of the show no <laughs> i want to hear that you can you can leave it in if you want but i, I thought i, I was thought doing was... the show what i was saying was the show no no <laughs> <laughs> this is so far much better than anything i I'm, thought <laughs> i'm giving you the plan okay <laughs> This is what the plan is. All right. I don't okay. know my role in the plan. Your plan is to be the straight man. Yeah. As you That's what I was doing until you told me we're going to oh. smash to the fucking ground. Oh. <laughs> All right. Start again. I'm saying that when we started recording this episode, when we conceived of this episode, and look, I'm not going to blame you. I'll say when I conceived of this episode, so you have some <laughs> wiggle room. I wasn't sure what it would amount to because there's so much about the 80s that we love, including the films, but it's undeniable that some of them have some troubling things that we didn't realize as kids that we realize now with the benefit of hindsight. I don't know what that leaves us. Certainly not condoning anything that happened, but I still, you know, some of them I want to watch and enjoy. You are, it's okay to go back and enjoy these movies. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because this falls under the creative license to say something that couldn't possibly happen. Hmm. All right? The nerds, they, they couldn't put on masks and trick that woman oh, into no. letting them have sex with her. This is it, your it, big plan? This is my plan. I'm telling you, that could not happen in reality. So it's but fiction. Date rape right? could happen in 16 Candles where a woman's intoxicated. That happens every day. Once again, you though, that dude would not give his girlfriend to the nerd. That happens. It, it, it you need a happen. new plan. It wouldn't happen, dude. In Bachelor Party, you. by the way, there's a similar thing. Okay, and plus, okay, uh, Varsity Blues, Role Models, Neighbors, Super Bad, Project X, This is the End. They're all just as bad as any movie that came out in the 80s, and people don't talk about them this way. Hmm. I don't, look, this is, oh, look, if this is our saving thing, I think we're in trouble. Did you jot anything else down on that paper? I, uh, it's not really wrote on a paper. <laughs> I thought I saw you looking at notes. Uh, it's just, just a smiley face on the paper, actually. I, I <laughs> It says, you are great. <laughs> Everything's going to be okay. That's all it says. I only say, I, t- I don't know that I agree with you. I don't agree with you. Only because when I Googled like problematic films of the 1980s, lists of 90s films, 2000s, 2000s, a lot of films came up where people would say, and super bad, this is bad because, so yeah. We were hyper aware of the 80s because that's our generation. Yeah, but this all falls under the umbrella of these are impossible situations it's not that impossible. are created for comedy. It's not impossible. 
It's impossible. It's not impossible There's for no, a dude to say, you want to have sex with my, my girlfriend? She's drunk. Just go for it. Yeah. It, you honestly think porn is realistic? Well, no, but I'm saying the scenarios are, you know, they Do exist think, for a reason. No, they don't. They, mm. are, they are made up bullshit that could never happen. I don't agree. I think you got your the head The pizza man never goes to the house and gets laid. It doesn't happen. That's, yeah. The plumber never shows up and gets paid with I don't sex. think that's going to save us. That's happen. unlikely. And I'm it saying unlikely happen. even though you're saying never. Never. You know what? I'll call 50 plumbers tomorrow and ask them <laughs> if they've ever been paid with sex. And I guarantee <laughs> you they all say no. I thought you were going to say I'll call 50 plumbers. And when they get to my house, say, I'm kind of short in cash this month. <laughs> Is there another <laughs> way I can pay you? Uh, I'm telling you right now, this falls under the umbrella of situations that could never mm. happen. I think, it make, I think it makes it sound like you don't think that these things can happen. I get your point. But I oh, think no, it, I'm not saying I'm not saying that rape doesn't happen. Yeah, but I'm saying that a nerd wearing a mask would never, ever in a million years, mm. not be able to be recognized for who he is compared to her boyfriend. I don't know. I'm telling you right now, if if someone else came in the bedroom wearing a mask, would you not know it's your wife? Yeah, but I there you go. You would know. You would know. Mm-hmm. So it's comedy. For the sake of comedy. That's all it is. Maybe there's something more to that that it was done for a comedy at the time. It had the best I, intentions. I, I'm telling you right now, this all for me falls under the Mel Brooks umbrella of comedy to be pushed to limits and just be stupid for the sake of being stupid. I'm curious how many of Mel Brooks's things pushed the limit to, you know, into criminality. Probably some of them. Um, well, let's see. He interviews the guys, and he says, what's your specialty? And the one guy's like, uh, blah, 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 rape, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, you said rape twice. I really like that one. So I, I think that pushes the boundaries pretty but goddamn far. But there wasn't rape, and he's making fun of that character. See, the difference in the other movies are is the hero of the film is setting up the rape. <laughs> yeah. That's the problem. But once again, it's an impossible situation. I disagree impossible. With you. It could disagree never with happen. You. Now we'll just put you know, let's put a poll on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Is it impossible to offer your drunk girlfriend to another person? No one would do that though. They would. That's how look, you know what you're what more naive than I am. Have? You're more what kind of friends do you have? Even my crappy friends wouldn't my crappy friends wouldn't even. Yeah, do see, that. I think that's what it is. Maybe you're just more naive than I am in this regard. Hmm. I don't, I, don't, okay. I don't know. All right, let's start over. You ready? Honestly, when we started this out is, and again, I'll say I started it because I, I don't I don't think you'd ever want to bring up these things necessarily. And not that you th- don't know that they, we don't have these films, but, you know, it's not as fun to talk about as, you know, the things that we just love straight up. But it's hard to know what to do with these kinds of things. You know, we talked about problematic songs, you know, many, many episodes, and it was you made the comment that, you know, yes, we can still enjoy them because I don't remember how you put it, but... Maybe it's that we know better, so it doesn't mean that we can't still, you know, have them and enjoy them. These films, I don't know if it's the same or not. I love these things as a kid. I was a teenager who responded to a lot of these things, in particular because I was, you know, going through puberty and there were naked women. I mean, this, you know, it's crass. It's true. Um, as an adult now, looking back, it's like, wow, some of those moments are problematic and it's not things that i'd ever want to hold up as you know to my children as an example of what was good behavior in the 1980s when we were kids so i don't know what to do with it right all right well we have proven oh i can't wait beyond a shadow of a doubt yes 
that every decade yep. has movies that are inappropriate. Yeah. But at least the 1980s movies mm. were good movies. Mm. Okay. So, but for their flaws, you know, and just like I was, just like I butchered uh, Molly Ringwald, you know, who is John mm-hmm. Hughes's muse. Yeah. Uh, her, her quote that um, uh, erasing history is a dangerous road when it comes to art. Change is essential, but so too is remembering the past in all of its transgression and barbarism, so that we may properly gauge how far we have come and also how far we still need to go, right? Something like that. Yes. Every rose has its thorns. <laughs> Another 80s goodie, I think, right? Or is yes, that sir. 90s? Is that 80s? No, that's 80s. 80s. All right, cool. So then we'll claim that. All right. Hey, all right. we'll talk to you next time on The Idiots. See ya.